At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am excited to spend some time today with Steele Smiley, uh, who is the CEO and founder of an explosive company called Crisp and Green, and is known most for building both national and international lifestyle and wellness brands dedicated to creating healthier, happier, and stronger communities. More than just the founder or franchisee of great brands, he's also served as the chairman of the board and controlling shareholder of numerous companies, including Crisp and Green, Steel Fitness, and more. Under his leadership, Lift Brands, a global wellness company, has managed multiple fitness concepts, added more than 1,000 units in more than 20 countries, and at the time of departure back in 2017, was one of the largest privately held wellness franchisors in the world with more than 2,500 locations in 25 countries. More than that, I am also specifically interested in understanding some of his pension for plant-based eating because I am not someone who identifies as a plant-based eater at all. Let's dive into it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Steel Smiley to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise, together. Hi Dave, nice to be here, thank you. Oh, I appreciate you being here. There's so many things we could dive into. You've obviously had quite the career as an entrepreneur. You've certainly spent a lot of time inside of health. You've worked, obviously, in plant-based and other businesses that, um, again, are adjacent to or interesting in my own personal wellness and health journey. But before we get into any of it, as much as I've tried to give you a bit of an introduction, could you, for our listeners, in your own words... Tell us a little bit about your story, why you believe yourself to be on this planet, and what your mission is while you're here. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, it's nice to be here with you today. You know, I, I think your introduction is certainly a whole lot fancier than I would say. I would say um, um, I'm a guy that I wake up every day. I, I have no limits. 
on what I uh, on what I think I can accomplish. Um, I, I dream something and, and I just do it. And I don't let, you know, anything really get in the way of doing that. And, and so to me, I've spent my entire career really in, in wellness, um, whether it be healthy eating um, or fitness, or in this case, both with crisp and green, and, and certainly now, uh, you know, migrating into plant-based eating with stock and spade and other, other projects. But, but for me, I'm a wellness-based entrepreneur who, who lives the lifestyle himself. Um, and I just do things that I love to do. And if I don't love to do them, I, I don't do them. So that's kind of how I've been able to build my whole, whole career. And, and hopefully I can help some people along the way. I love that. So I am very much uh, on a health and wellness journey of my own, connected more than I have ever been in my entire life to the idea of holistic health. For me, it's physical, mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual health. But really, when you start thinking about physical health, I've never been so focused on nutrition and body movement, things that certainly you have been really focused on in creating businesses and value delivery for customers. Why wellness? Was this something that just was a part of your life forever and ever? Or is there something that acted as a catalyst for you to get into the space? Yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, a former uh, swimmer. I was a, a D1 All-American swimmer through high school into college, paid my way at University of Virginia. Um, and so I, athletics and, and waking up every day and performing at the highest level was something I did um, as of about age eight. So I never stopped doing it. Um, I never got to play cool sports like football. Uh, or any of those other things. I was too good at, at swimming. And so my parents said, look, this is what you're going to do. And, and I knew one day it would, would pay my way through college. So I, I always woke up with this idea. That's what I had to do. And, and so I knew when I got to college, I wanted to do something completely different. Um, I, I went through business school and I, I wanted to be an investment banker. I'm, I'm done with athletics. Um, I'm going to turn all that energy into learning how to manage money. Um, and, and that's really where I, uh, I started my career. And I, I made it uh, zero months in the investment banking business. <laughs> I graduated <laughs> business school. There were three kids uh, that went to, that did not go to Wall Street. I was one of the three. And uh, I started my entrepreneurial journey right then. And, uh, and I'm, I'm certainly glad I did. Well, it's interesting for me because I had the opposites in terms of sequence. I spent a little more than 25, well, 22, 23 years inside of corporate, conventional, big conglomerate spaces and had the benefit of working with some great brands, but also a fundamentally different experience to what the last couple of years as an entrepreneur have looked like. Was entrepreneurship something that was just kind of in your bones? Was it something that you witnessed as you know a thing that happened in your family or was that just part of your wiring. You knew that it was a thing you needed to go do and you went and did it. Yeah. You know, I was kind of unemployable. I mean, the reality of it was, is I didn't feel like, uh, you know, I could really work in, in any normal conventional environment. And, you know, I started, my, my father was the fortune 50 CEO. Um, he didn't start that way. He started from the very bottom. And, and so we, we, we grew up, you know, very modest and worked our way up and I moved 14 times before I was 20. So, you know, we, I got to see his work ethic and, what that meant in a very corporate environment, similar to what you were talking about. But I knew that those confines would be too confined for me. So, you know, I did all the things I hustled, I mowed lines, I detailed cars, I sold t-shirts. I mean, I did everything I possibly could. And, and I said, look, I'm going to go do this full time. I'm going to, I'm going to go work on wall street. And, um, and, and then I decided uh, that I didn't want to go. I went and did interviews and I saw everyone on how unhappy they were and, and knowing that money maybe wasn't the ultimate answer to happiness. And I saw that literally walking through the offices, going through my interviewing. And uh, I said, I, I, you know, I, I stopped right there and I, and I never went. And so I wanted to do something that I love to do. And I, and I re fell back on my background. I knew fitness was something that I, I knew and I loved. And, um, you know, we were at the infancy at the time. I mean, you know, boutique fitness didn't exist in the early 2000s. 
so, you know, I, I try to do something different. And, and fortunately, as I look back 20 years later, you know, it worked. Unbelievable. It's interesting as a person who has transitioned from wearing a suit every single day, many of them still <laughs> hanging in the closet, just like collecting dust. I have a hard time letting go of these suits that defined my identity for so many years. Yeah. I now really kind of rotate through six V-necks. I mean, I'm becoming Steve Jobby, Jobsian <laughs> in the uh, let's reduce the decision fatigue that might happen by just wearing the same thing every day. But once you get away from that conventional space, it's so hard to even consider. There's no way. I would not, I can't imagine what the opportunity would be ever find myself back inside of a traditional, quote unquote, traditional corporate environment, having tasted what exists inside of the entrepreneurial space. Was the first time that you were doing something as an entrepreneur successful? Or I mean, are you the the human that is going to break away from what traditionally ends up being failure, 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 and then success? Or did you have success right out the gate? I, I mean, the honest answer is I had success right out the gate. I mean, I, I sold uh, I, I sold t-shirts in, in high school and I, I did it to make a thousand dollars. I think I probably made 30 or 40,000, believe it or not. I, I started a network of, of kids selling t-shirts in other schools and, and I, I wanted to buy a fancy car for my high school prom and, and I was able to do that. Um, but I really realized the power of a network and the power of the ability to use and leverage good teammates and, um, and, and it worked, but that doesn't mean I haven't had a lot of failures along the way. I mean, there was a million failures. Um, and, in fact, most people who have levels of success, you know, and you can, you, you know, you've certainly heard this with, with other people, even on your show. I mean, you know, they, they have moments of their life that are their darkest days. And that sort of defines your ability to, propel out of that and become a new version of, of yourself. And so we've all faced them. I've faced plenty of them, more than I can count, uh, more, more than I've had victories. So let's talk about your first big success. What was it for you? How did it make you feel? And what did it create as a springboard for what ended up being next? Yeah, I, you know, and, and success, you know, is defined in so many different ways. I, I mean, I think um, you know, certainly my, my first personal success um, in, in, in relationships came far later uh, than, than maybe my first business success. I mean, it, it defined what success means. If it's, if it's strictly business accomplishments, you know, for, for me, it was really the first time I sold my fitness company. And that was, you know, I, I was early in the days of boutique fitness. There was no berries. There was no soul cycle. I, I started back in 2004. Um, was largely credited as the first boutique fitness player in the country. And I had a, a chain of personal training studios and I, and I sold it. I sold it for, you know, too much money. Um, and it was, uh, it was in 2013. It was my first big success. I'd started at $760 when I started my company and, and I got an unfathomable amount of money for me that I, I didn't, you know, I, I kept looking at the bank account saying, is this real? And, um, you know, and, and I did a lot of dumb things. I bought, you know, a couple of things I shouldn't have buy. And I realized that didn't immediately increase my level of satisfaction or happiness um, but that was probably the first true business success where, you know, you change your life, you know, you, you, you move, you buy a house, you know, uh, uh, something you really like, and, and you can afford to pay cash for a car and things like that. But, um, you know, that, 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 that by no means did not translate into life happiness, right? I mean, that was an unbelievable financial success, but financial success doesn't always translate directly with life happiness. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast.
It's so interesting. If I like, I've been asked the question: If you could go back and tell yourself, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. twenty-five years ago, any piece of advice, what would it be? It's two things for me. Most of the things I was afraid of aren't actually going to happen, or if they do, they're going to be fantastic in how they act as a catalyst for growth. But two, and maybe more importantly, everything I thought was the important, the strive for, the when I achieve it, then I'll be happy list of things that I would have defined as success at 20 versus 46 now. Um, very, very few of those things, because most of them were material, were actually at the root of what would create fulfillment or happiness on a deep level. And that's just one of those things where you have to often get to the place where you've achieved it to actually that's right. process it and understand, oh, wait, it's actually something else. It's more about affecting people or connecting to purpose or, or something else that, you know, just ends up being deeper and not necessarily surface level material. I, I think that's fantastic. And I love what you first said too, about this idea that, you know, you, you don't let your mind go to these worst case scenario thinking, you know, about the outcomes and what's going to happen. And, and ultimately, you know, some of, and, and you could probably attest to this as well. Some of your lowest moments ultimately are, are catalysts for maybe something that needed to happen in your life or something that was better that was going to happen. And maybe that space needed to be created in order for that thing to actually happen in your life. And so, you know, as you get older, you know, we're both in our 40s and, and you start to realize that that, that is really uh, looked at as a blessing and not necessarily, you know, a, a terrible thing. And you have to sort of reframe the way you look at those situations. Yeah. I mean, I, people, I'm sure, are interested in punching me squarely in the face when I start telling them about the inverse relationship between me getting many of the things that I was hoping for in my business career and the way that I felt underfulfilled because of the way I, on a pedestal, placed some of these things only to realize that there was emptiness once I got there. Uh, I know there's privilege in even being able to say that kind of thing. And yet, uh, for anyone who is chasing status or money or title, or even at times proximity to people being invited to the right room or the right party, uh, you know, you can get there, but unless you're connected to purpose and something in the world of impact, I just, I can promise you, it's not going to feel the way that you'd hope. Uh, tell me a little bit about Crisp and Green. I, I, I'm so fascinated by the, com the company, the ethos, the, the why behind you having created what it is and what you hope to serve a customer who walks in the door. Yeah, you know, and, and this was an interesting thing for me because I, I didn't intend to be in the restaurant business. I mean, I had spent my entire life in fitness, you know, from a young entrepreneur to selling their company to then getting acquired by the company and then ultimately um, running the parent company that bought my company. I mean, we were, we were a billion dollar system wide revenue when I retired in March of 17. So, I mean, we, we had, you know, I, theoretically, I had the highest level job I could have in the fitness business at that time. And you know, I was non-competed out of doing anything that I, that I knew. And all I knew was workouts. I knew how to keep myself healthy, how to keep my friends healthy, the community healthy, um, and, and the world healthy. And so to me, it was about what could I do that would be adjacent to that. And I said, I, I knew food, but not food like I knew how to make it. I mean, I've never cooked anything in my life, um, but I knew how to, you know, put together consumer brands. I knew how to market. Um, and, and, and ultimately, I, you know, the idea, um, you know, it was, was really born from this concept of I couldn't get healthy food in my community. I mean, I, I, I live down the street from my first store at, at the time. And, you know, I would go to the local grocery store. I wasn't working um, and try to get a healthy lunch. And, you know, you go through the salad bar, pick up some kind of gross thing that they had prepackaged and made off site. And I, I was just shocked by the fact that there was not an opportunity for healthy 
located. I mean, you know, in our markets, like Chipotle was healthy, right? That was kind of like the healthiest version of what I knew. And so I said, look, I, I went out to try to go and acquire or, or buy a player in the space. And then I was going to use my franchising knowledge to grow it. And I quickly realized the values were far higher than I could afford to buy a, a mature chain. Um, and, and so I said, look, I'll just build it. And so I built my first unit in 2000. Uh, six second unit in March of 17. And we were largely stalled before the pandemic. Um, the pandemic hit, it, it coached users, uh, the end user that using digital technology was the way to order food. Um, you know, I was at seven stores at the time, built in and development in a single state. And as we sit here, you know, about a year and a half later, I'm 110, 112 stores in, in 14 states built in development and probably the fastest growing restaurant chain in the world today. Um, and so it, it's amazing how life can change that quickly on something that wasn't meant to be or, or that could have pivoted either direction. But, you know, we're really bringing healthy, you know, uh, options to that community. But the other thing we're doing is we're, we're delivering fitness. We're, we're doing, if we were a fitness company in Minnesota, we would be the second largest fitness provider in the state of Minnesota if everyone converted to a membership. So when I say that, you know, we, we have every day we have classes. We're, we're doing them free. They're in front of our stores, you know, anywhere between 50 to a couple hundred people show up every day. They're outside, they're inside, wherever we are in our multiple states. And so, you know, we, we provide that as a gift back to the community to say it's about wellness. It's about making good choices. And you can come into Crispin Green and order off uh, a salad, a pre-made salad or, uh, or, or that you make uh, pre-selected, pre-curated or, or design your own similar to a Chipotle type line. And, um, you know, we're open to store, you know, about every seven or eight days, I think starting next month. So it's just, it's just been crazy and a whirlwind and exciting. That's unbelievable. So like in the world of quick serve restaurants, fast food, how do you create the enticing offer to an audience that may have been predisposed or programmed that these are the things that they want when they're short on time? Is it just a, hey, there's a healthy alternative or is there something more that the kind of, I said ethos earlier, but like the, the kind of bones of the business end up also trying to cater to that the consumer who walks in maybe isn't even aware of what they already need. Yeah, I mean, ultimately we're selling a lifestyle and everyone says that, but very few in the restaurant chain really, you know, if you think of restaurants that you know, how many of them are actually selling kind of a lifestyle along with that? You know, I think Chipotle might sell a lifestyle if you're a gamer and you know, you're a teenager and you're, you're cramming down the burritos or, or whatever. Mountain Dew probably has a lifestyle essentially for the same thing. Um, you know, there are different, you know, sort of ideas that are attached to each brand. In our, in our case, we, we sort of tell the story that we're a wellness company. I mean, we are delivering a wellness solution to people either through our fitness classes that are complimentary every day or through the food that you eat. And it's translated to lines out the door every single day. It's, it's translated to you know, high uh, uh, stores that, that perform in, 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 in the highest volumes in the country. And, and it's performed to ultimately a franchise system that we believe is going to be significant. And so, you know, how you choose to market that message for us, it's through wellness because wellness translates. I mean, it hits, hits home for you, hits home for me and, and a lot of people. And certainly the pandemic most definitely made people think about their own wellness choices and the food that they put in their bodies every day. When you think about it, it's nuts. I mean, there's 20 some thousand subways across the country and in our sector, which is healthy eating in a fast casual format and healthy bowls and salads, you know, there's less than 300 uh, of our restaurants in the entire United States today. Um, and, and so you look at it, it, you know, we are in our infancy and it, it is a game and it's a race to see who can sort of build the biggest brand. But ultimately, all of us, uh, whether we're competitors 
or whether we're, um, uh, you know, we're all essentially moving the movement forward, teaching people that you can make a healthy choice that's craveable, that tastes good, that keeps your body fit and your mind right, um, while while doing it in, in a positive way, it tastes good at a price that's affordable. And so, to me, it, all of us are doing the right thing for the community. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So is competitors inside of your space good or bad? I'm going to argue that it's good, and I want you to challenge me if you disagree, but that if uh, a Mad Greens, as a, for example, were to create some traction and now people are seeing the idea of shopping for salad as a thing that they might do as opposed to sitting in a drive through at McDonald's, then the opportunity that might exist for crisp and green ends up being just that much higher. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a good thing. I mean, ultimately, we wouldn't have the opportunity in some of these tier one markets that we've uh, entered into to uh, have awareness of our product unless others were doing it. We certainly believe we're doing it better. Our AUVs are the highest in the country in our sector. So our volume per store. So we, 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 we believe ultimately that our product is the superior product and the customer ultimately makes that choice. Right? So you get CEOs on here all day. I think their products are great. But ultimately is, is determined at the polls or in our case at the restaurant every day. People show up and, and, and we're, we're thankful, we provide a great service. So you know, we, we appreciate all the competitors in the space for sort of telling that store that healthy eating is a positive thing. And ultimately there are only 300 total stores in the country. Next year, there'll be probably 500 and the year after that, probably be 800. But it, it doesn't move as fast as you would think that it, that it would. And so it took Subway's you know, decades to get to those types of numbers. And it'll take us the same way too. And ultimately there'll be one or two competitors that'll, that'll be uh, standing. There'll be a McDonald's of, of the industry and a Burger King. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're just glad to be in that conversation and, and, and we know we'll be there at the end. So we're, we're thankful. That's great. So for anyone who is an entrepreneur themselves, as you're thinking about whether it's like a, a white space or blue ocean strategy or whatever it ends up being, when you're thinking about growth, what are the conditions that you're considering as you look at a market? Is it specific to the index of how often people are heading to a gym or is it just uh, where there just looks like there could be opportunity in the way that people are consuming in real time? I mean, you have to pick an industry where there's an opportunity, right? So if we said today, Dave, you and I are going to build a business, let's go into the fitness business. I mean, that would be kind of a crazy decision today to build a multinational chain because it is at the maturity of that sector. So you're gonna to wanna to pick something that might not be at its maturity, but then you almost have to have a, a complete naivete in your ability to uh, have a, a connection to reality. And I say that because if I knew all the reasons today, why, how I could have failed in this business, like no one would ever do it. And, and I was asked, 
a couple months ago, Steve, would you ever do another restaurant chain? And of course I ended up doing another one, but, but, but logically now that I know the rules, I would do it, but I would never have gone into this business. It, it's the world's worst bet because, you know, the chances of success are so small, but that's also what makes true entrepreneurs really great is you, you say, look, I don't care. You know, I don't care if the market is small, I'm going to make my way and make a success regardless of what the industry says. It's, it's sort of like the horses when they're you know, going around the track with the blinders on, you, you just got to stay focused on what you do and don't worry about the noise around you. And, um, and you have to believe whether it's irrational or not, you have to believe in your ability to make an impact on the world. And I think you believe it. I believe it. Um, and I hope all entrepreneurs that are listening ultimately believe it. And if you don't believe it, you can't do it. Yeah. No, it's, what's, what's really interesting too, like for anyone who has a thing, whatever their thing is, it has to be so connected to your passion that you can push past some of the like <laughs> black and white thinking that would otherwise derail you. Like your passion has to overrule sometimes the things that would be introduced by third parties or some of the evidence that could even be presented that are you sure? Because you're not gonna ever, not ever, but like it's rare to find something where it's just from the word go, you have a gut instinct, you step into a space, there's no competition and overwhelming consumer demand you're usually going to find a saturated space where you have to find a niche and play on your passion to deliver a superior offering relative to other things that already exist in the market. It, that's exactly right. And for me, it was this idea that I don't understand fundamentally how someone can willingly choose a bad food choice every day, make that choice every day and continue to keep doing it. I mean, I, and I think people only do it because they don't have access to the good choices. Because if they did, why would they ever make that choice? So if we can make good food today that tastes like their craveable favorites, that is a healthy alternative to what they're normally used to tasting that isn't great for them, who would choose the other option? And so, and that's kind of when I decided to go, okay, I'm gonna go right into plants because plants were perceived as pejorative. I mean, it, it was like, how, how can I build a living on a Boca burger? You know, remember those from 10 <laughs> years ago? It's like, yep. you grill one, it's terrible. You know, it makes no sense. And, and, and the industry has come so far. So if you're going to pick a burger or a chicken sa salad or a chicken sandwich, if I can give you a better version, that's hormone free, that's just great. Why wouldn't you make that choice? And so you have to fundamentally believe that you, you kind of have to be crazy about it, you know? And yeah. not in, a, in an off-putting way, Dave, but in a way where it's like, I'm going to try to convince you that it might be the right, just, just give me a try, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say this as a person who has like had a bunch of limiting beliefs around my own fitness journey, what I was capable of in strength training or the way that my nutrition may actually affect the way I feel my energy, the way that I could build muscle, whatever it is, it's all been completely changed in a very, very short window of time as I have been introduced because of the expertise of people who just know the space really well with the alternatives that exist that I did not know about. That being said, and man, I don't want to get notes, so bear with me. The idea of plant-based is something that still sits on the outside of my having accepted it necessarily. There's skepticism around it, but here you are, you transition out of having successfully launched Crisp and Green and now have Stock and Spade I mean, I, I get that, hey, there's a market for it, but I am someone currently, I mean, I said this before we started up, that is working on a macro plan that the idea that I didn't have or couldn't have an access to meat 
feels really tough for me to be able to hit some of the thresholds that I'm trying to hit. And that also comes out of not knowing a stinking thing about how many nutrients are included in the alternatives that might exist in the plant-based world. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I came to it from a very different perspective. I mean, I, when I had sold my company in 2013 and 14, I was hospitalized, you know, four times in the course of three months. So I was at the finish line. I was tired. I mean, my, if you would have looked at me, you would have said, still, you look 10 years older than you look today. I mean, I felt at like I was completely, utterly exhausted and I looked exhausted. I was deconditioned. I mean, I'm a 215, 220 pound guy. I was 185 pounds. I was, oh. I was not fit. I was not strong. And I was putting all my time in a boardroom trying to get the company sold. And so I went down to the Mayo Clinic and the Mayo Clinic's in our backyard here in Minnesota. And, uh, and they said, still, look, w- we think you should transition your lifestyle to from meat-based eating to plant-based eating. We think that's going to make the difference along with some other lifestyle changes, community, the people you surround yourself with, other things. And, um, and, and, and they convinced me, the head of internal medicine convinced me that that was the cure to cancer. You know, ultimately that people were making... Um, you, you know, that, 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 that the food chain and, and, and their inability to have community relationships and inability to believe in a higher power and the inability to, to have high stress in their life was, was causing, um, you know, inconsistencies in your body that essentially would, would metastasize into future problems like a cancer. And so, you know, I, I never had, uh, had that issue. We didn't know what the issue was and we never solved the issue, but we ultimately believed that I was somewhat problematic to, uh, to my body processing meat. So I said, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm, I'm going completely plant-based. And uh, I made that decision January 1st, 2014. And, and I'll be, I'll be completely transparent in a non-commercial way, whether I have a plant-based chain or not, I had 40% more energy within a week. I mean, it, it was like my body completely changed my thin, you know, my midsection thinned out. Um, I had far more definition than I'd ever had. And I, I had, my body wasn't so bogged down from processing the meat that I was able to function with a lot more energy throughout the day. And I, and I made a lot of other major changes, including, you know, intermittent fasting, which was before that was even a thing. Um, and, and I made a whole lot of other kind of small changes in my diet, but together collectively, I had more energy and, and I believed it so much that when the food started to be able to be made to taste like the originals, that's when I said, it's time to do a change. Because before it was, it was impossible. I mean, and I mean to be impossible like the burger. It, it, was, it was simply impossible. And I bring up the Boca burger because I think most people of our uh, age know what that is. I mean, it was the first plant-based burger and it was the gross one that you, know, you made. You bought two for the weird friend who was a vegan and, and you know, they, they ate one, they threw the other one away. Um, but now the, the plant-based meat tastes exactly like the classic original. And so my bet um, is that people will eventually make that trade. And whether they make it this year or next year or 10 years from now, I think they will. And I think it's coming. And science and technology and innovation has caught, finally caught up to our taste buds. And, and uh, I, if people can make that change once a week, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to change their life. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast it's i mean like it's so it's just a fascinating thing to me because whether it's incessant advertising for 46 years of my life or just the general disposition i tend to have with new things the idea of it is, like I say, it's just a, it's a foreign thing. And yet there's no refuting the way that you had the experience that you did. And certainly I've seen documentaries and heard from other people who've ultimately transitioned into a plant-based vegan lifestyle. And I uh, can't dispute what you said. Um, and it, and I, so I guess like the challenge ends up being, how do you sample <laughs> for the skeptic yeah. So that in practice, they're able to themselves have the breakthrough that says, oh, wow, this is good. And it also is going to change potentially the way that I feel. How do you sample? Yeah, I think you have to ultimately decide what is your reason for not trying it, right? And so, you know, that, that is sort of the base level first decision that you make. And, and for me, you know, I, I was a bodybuilder. I was a fitness person. I would say I, you know, I would eat cans of tuna, four or 500, you know, you know, grams of protein a day. Um, I was like, there is no way I can build a body that, that the way I want to feel and look eating plants. There, there's just no way. And so that was my first big fear. And I, I was already deconditioned at the time. So I had kind of no way to go get worse. Uh, uh, so I said, look, I'll, I'll try it. And I tried it and I felt good. And I did a second day and I felt good. And, and so my advice to people who are willing to, you know, take that, leap of faith is just give it a day, give it two days, throw it in your diet every couple of days. And, and I know it's especially tough coming from a fitness background because we were all taught that you can't do it without, you know, your, your, your chicken breasts and your, and your protein, but take from a guy who's been teaching that lifestyle for 20 years um, at the highest level possible across the globe, I'm telling you, you can maintain a body that's going to feel better. And especially as we get older, there is no way I'd look and feel the way I do today if I had meat. I, I, I don't think it's physically possible. Um, I feel like every year I get younger. I feel like I, I feel better. I have more energy. 
And I believe it's all due to, you know, making those plant-based choices. And so try it, try it for yourself, you know, make that choice and your, your body's going to, you know, certainly reward you for it. And the first thing you're going to notice is just try the burger because you eat a classic burger, you know, and you have the hangover and you eat a, a plant-based burger and you don't have a hangover. So that's the first indication that, you know, your body appreciates what you're doing. Right on. Right on. So you've had a lot of different experiences. The through line for me is that they have each been connected to your personal passion. So there isn't, you know, there hasn't, as far as I can see in your personal journey, been stuff that you're going out on a limb and diverting or departing from things that you have personal passion for. But is there, is there something beyond tapping into passion that you would give as a piece of advice to an entrepreneur based on some of the experiences you've had over the course of your career? I think the overwhelming largest piece of advice I could give anyone is be careful with the community that you surround yourself with. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an underthought idea because you, you, you say, okay, you got to be a good financial planner. You got you to gotta be a good entrepreneur. You got to have a good, you got to have a good team, but not just the team that you hire within your organizations, but your personal network. You know, you, you, you got to really look at that network every day and say, is this network and the people that I'm surrounding myself with helping me become a better person or am I becoming you know, a worse person? And ultimately, I believe that the people you hang around with, your, your direct circle is a direct reflection on you and you will become them and they will become you. And so if you're not surrounding yourself with people that are challenging you to be a better person, whether that's the partner in your life or whether it's you know, your, your, your friends that you meet um, and you can't add value and, and be there on the good days and the bad days, and ultimately identify why are those people in your life? I mean, especially even looking at the romantic relationships, are they there because they want something from you? And are you there with them because you're, you, you, know, you know, you need something. And so every relationship has to be authentic. And when you do that, I think your platform is just better. Yeah. And so that's what I've learned. I mean, at this age, that's, that's the takeaway. Yeah. So if you related it all to the way that I was chasing things I thought would bring me happiness or fulfillment, but then in getting closer to them or achieving them, realize, nope, this isn't actually the thing. What now is your thing? What is, what is the thing that you are reaching for every day to try and deliver for you a deeper sense of fulfillment? You know, it's about, it's about accumulating a, enough resources to the ability to give it all back. And, and so for me, I don't need anything else to fulfill my life. Um, I'm comfortable today, but it is about doing all the things I want to do to be able to help other people. You know, I, I have a particular soft spot for kids related items, um, you know, the ability to give back and, and do things and, and make an impact on the world. I mean, I think I don't want the legacy to become the only reason why you're here is to, is to create, you know, these consumer brands that have, have spanned, you know, this many countries or this many cities. I mean, I don't really care about that. I want the opportunity to be able to, uh, to give back and, and, and help change someone's life for the better, whether it's through advice, stat and five cents might not buy you a gumball. I mean, people don't care, but it's about your ability to potentially use your resources to help somebody else have, have a better life. And that's something that we certainly can do and something that we should do. And I wish more entrepreneurs would do. Love that. Well, over the Dining room here in the house, our family motto sits. And one of the things it says at the very end, to whom much is given, much is expected. Many things have been given to you. There's a lot expected in that. I love that answer because it just connects back to uh, reciprocity, giving back in a way that That's is, right. you know, in some ways reflected on how much has been already given to you. 
If people are interested in learning more about you, more about your journey, or more about the companies that you've created, where on the interwebs might they find this information? You know, my whole company is called Steel Brands. It's got a little bit of information about me. It's steel with an E-S-T-E-L-E brands.com. And uh, it's got the companies I've, I've been a part of and the ones I'm, I'm doing today. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I don't do a lot of social, social media. I let my brands really speak for themselves, which is, I think is very unique. I mean, I, I really don't spend a lot of time. I think I would be obsessed with, with Instagram if I did that full time. So I, I let my, my brands do that. Um, I'm How liberating this of, much of be? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's nice to have that not to worry about. So I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the opportunity to meet you. Right on. I appreciate it too. All right. We uh, finish each of our conversations with the same question for each of our guests. And that is, if you could give a single takeaway to the audience, could be an idea, question, actionable piece of advice. What is the single thing that you would leave our listeners with today? So in our city of Minneapolis, we have a circle. And, and I know you, you said you lived here for one year, many years ago, but we have what's called 394 and 494. And in Washington, D.C., it's called the Beltway. You know, if you don't make a decision on what exit you want to take in your life, right, depending upon whatever you pick the road, you pick the circle, you will forever be going around that circle. And so, you know, a, a successful life is also a well-planned and well-thought-out life. You know, you have to think about the exits that you want to take, the people that you want to surround yourself with, the journey that you want to make, and, and the impact that, that, that you want to make uh, along the way. So pick your exits, uh, pick them strategically, and, and focus on them every day, and, and make sure that you remind yourself why you are waking up every day knowing what you're doing. Oh, so good. Steele, I love this. Thank you for spending some time today. You know, my hope in this, like every episode, is that Anyone out there who has an idea, who's got that entrepreneurial spirit, is inspired in some ways to stay connected to, first and foremost, their passion, to find whatever kind of white space might exist, even if it's competitive, and then allow the quality of the product to do the talking and convincing people that there is a reason why this business exists. Steele, thank you for being that inspiration for somebody today. I appreciate it so much. And to you, the listener... Uh, share this episode with somebody inside of your network that you know needs to hear a little something about how to create a brand, build a business, lean into something that they're passionate for or offer an alternative to something that has existed as a standard forever and ever between now and next week. Be looking for the exit. Make sure you've got a plan and are conscientious of where you're going to get off that circle O life. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast.